now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Ron Cox, who during his near-death experience encountered his deceased mother, and today we're going to learn about it. Ron, thank you so much for being my guest today, and welcome. Thank you for having me, and welcome everyone, and... uh Yes, I'm here to talk about my near-death experience that occurred about five and a half years ago. Oh, wow. I didn't realize it was so recent. Yes, it's been very recent. And uh, I do a lot of studying. and I've noticed a, a lot of people are talking about them from when they were children and from 10 and 15 years ago. And I don't know, maybe that's a process that people have to go through before they can finally really talk about it. I know my NDE, well, first of all, I had to say, uh, my NDE was caused by uh, the Widowmaker heart attack. Mm. And according to my cardiologist, only about 5% of the people who have a Widowmaker actually survive. Um, I had I had my heart attack starting starting here at the house. I think I actually had five of them. And uh, when they got me to the hospital, of course, they were prepping me and they took me into this room. And the last thing I heard was he's in V-fib. And then I, as easy as I am sitting here looking at you or as gentle as it is, blinking your eye, I stepped immediately outside of my body and was standing right beside the doctors. And I knew instantly that I had just died and I knew that I was safe I was completely out of pain I think the heart attack was the most excruciating pain I've ever felt in my entire life um and to instantly be out of that pain was just at first it was confusing and then it was like wait a second I just stepped out of my body and died And I was immediately in this place where when it happened, I didn't know where I was, but only through my research do I understand that I was most likely in what they call the void, which is total darkness. But even when it's total darkness, you still feel all the energy from the other side. Um, The amount of love that I felt while I was there was penetrating. You could feel it penetrating your body. But it wasn't my physical body. It was my spiritual body or my spirit body that I was feeling all these sensations with. And I knew I could feel people around me. Did I know who all of them were? No. Could I see the doctors still working on me on the table? Yes. And what's amazing, I really didn't even have to turn. It's almost like if I thought of myself on the table, I could instantly see it. But if I wanted to be back with my mother, I was instantly there. And now I hear it described as a 360 degree view. But really, it's just, I think it's, generated through thought okay so i knew i was with my mother i knew i was safe 
I knew I was whole again. I knew there was nothing wrong with me. I knew exactly where I was, even though I'd never had any type of training on this before. Um, and I didn't panic. I didn't panic at all. I was calm as could be. And when my mother said I had to come back, that there was a lot of work for me to do, I didn't really understand it. And I think at that moment, I also understood that I was leaving my spouse and my my dogs. <laughs> you know, and I just started screaming, no, no, no. And the next thing I know, um, the shock went through my body and I literally came up off the table. Because what was ever in front of me, I hit it when they shocked me the last time. And that's how quickly I came back into my body. Now, how long I was over there, it felt like an eternity. It felt like such a long period of time, but I couldn't tell you how long I was actually out. Um. Even though I was in the void and I really couldn't see things going on, the only thing I felt was my mother and I could hear her voice. And it was the changes afterwards to me physically that has really, I would have to say, it, it, the near-death expression in itself sends you into a depression afterwards because you, you realize that you died and now you're back here and you know, things were so much better over there than they are here. You know, it's like, who would really want to come back to this mess? You know, and that, that sort of put me in a depression for a little while. But then afterwards, I started noticing I had people in my house that were in spirit form, and I've never seen spirit before. I have animals that were in my past that have gone through my life with me, who have passed on, I can see the animals in my house. So it was the the biggest change was what happened afterwards, how it changed my abilities. I've always been a clairvoyant dreamer, but after my near-death experience, I see spirit standing next to people. I see spirit in my house. I, I hear spirit call my name. I can sit and give messages that even when I'm done giving a message to a sitter through a mediumship reading, I'm sitting there. I'm so dumbfounded sometimes. It's like, wow, where did all that really come from? You know, because I know it wasn't me. Um, so it's been quite life changing the near-death experience. And, and as I'm reading, researching and reading other people's experiences, yes, we have a lot of similarities, but there's a lot of really big differences too. Ron, thank you so much for sharing your experience. When you first popped out of your body, you were watching the doctors. Mm -hmm. 
What was the transition from being with the doctors into the void? Did you think about it or did you just all of a sudden find yourself in a dark place? That's automatically where I was. There was no thought about that. It was almost like my, my soul went into automatic pilot. It knew exactly what to do and where to go. Did you think about your mother before she came or did she just show up? You know, no. on her own. No, there was no thought about her at all. Uh, she just showed up. I mean, we were, uh, my spouse and I, Dennis, we were actually getting ready to go out that night to go out and have some dinners and cocktails and, um, and boom. So there was, there was no thought of my mother or anything at all during the day, really, or even that night or even when I was in the hospital and all this was taking place. Can you tell us about any other changes that happened to you after your NDE? I don't relate to people the way I used to. It's really, it's really quite different. I used to be known as the mayor of Wilton Manors because I knew everybody. And now it's like, Everybody got pushed out of my circle. And now I'm starting a whole new circle of friends. I don't understand why that process took place. But people I've been friends with for 25 years now are all of a sudden moving out of town. Hmm. You know, or they're just, I don't know. It's just like I got became separated. My circle became just two instead of 100. You know, my spouse and I, and I, maybe my vibration changed. You know, maybe me talking about my near-death experience, because quite frankly, I don't hide it. If people don't want to hear about it, they can walk away. You know, because this is what actually happens. And if you want to deny the truth, then fine. You can deny the truth, but you'll eventually understand the truth. But I speak about it because I don't want people to be afraid. I want people to know that there is much more to life, that it's not all this minutia that we're going through today, that things are incredible over there. Just just the energy alone is enough to make me want to go back. So do you think that your circle responded negatively to your NDE? Well, if if I look at it on, I don't think they did it consciously. I think it was subconsciously. Okay. So if, if you look at, just look at the way my vibration has changed over the years, just from the NDE and from my meditation practices and my, and my training. So your vibration changes because you're you're more in tune with the spirit world. So your vibration changes. And even if my friends' vibration stayed the same and theirs is still a little bit slower and mine's a very rapid vibration, it's going to act like two opposite ends of a magnet and sort of repel one another. So I don't think it was it was consciously done. I just think this is a subconscious thing that happens that 
we don't realize that it's all vibrational. It's all vibrational. I think it's great that your spouse not only accepted this, but supported you on this because it appears that about 50% of the people who have an NDE wind up in divorce. Oh, really? Wow. We, I had to say it was hard. It's been hard on him. I mean, after that, I it had to be a good six months that I sat there in such a deep, dark depression that I didn't know what I was going to end up doing. And actually, I became a little afraid for myself for a little while, you know, because because I wanted to be back on that other side so badly. You know, who... The way I describe the way that the love penetrates your soul, you know how when here we just get this feeling of such exhilaration that we have goosebumps on top of goosebumps and the hair on the back of our neck stands up? Okay, everybody's experienced that. Now multiply that by a million. That's what it feels like on the other side. And that is nothing but pure, pure love. I had no fear, no worry, no anxiety. I was greeted with love. I was greeted with acceptance. I felt like I was home. I felt like I was wrapped in this great big universal hug of love. You know, like I was just completely enveloped by it. Could you say it was like you were wrapped in a blanket of love? Yes, yes, yes. Wrapped, just, it was very comforting. It, like I said, it was like I was home. I was home. Who wants to leave home? You know, that's your comfortable place. That's the, My soul knew exactly where it was and that. I think that's why I went through the depression because my soul was longing to be back and to feel that love again. Besides the depression, did you have any other negative after effects? Yeah, I I don't tolerate people as well as I used to Um, because I can see how petty they're being and I realize that in the grand scheme of things, Their pettiness is so minute, it's not funny. And I can see that, but getting them to see it is almost an impossible task. You know, because what's important to you is important to you. And, uh, but yet, it was very, very petty. You know, and I look at things differently. How, How does it affect me in the grand scheme of things? You know, what's this matter in the whole universe? We look at it on a universal level. What does this matter on that big universal level? Well, it's very, very minute. You know, and um, so my tolerance for, let's just say, ignorance has changed. Okay. Um but yet my capacity for compassion has just exploded. You know, um, 
I now I now teach mediumship. So my uh, my compassion level for people want to understand the spirit world is is huge. So and I know people get frustrated when they're trying to connect or trying to meditate, and you you just have to be gentle with them as you're teaching them and. My level of patience with that. I can say my level of patience has changed with people as well. Can you share with us your experience the very first time after your NDE that you saw a being or a spirit in your house and how you reacted? Yeah. Um, it was just a, it was a little after six months and I, I had a vision. I, I had a clairvoyant dream about a friend of mine that used to work with me. She worked for me, actually. And uh, I had a dream about a person in a park. I knew they were in a park. I knew they were under the pavilion. I could see them, but I couldn't make out who they were. And um, I knew they shot themselves, and I knew they fell into the bushes, and I knew people couldn't find them. Um, That was the most accurate clairvoyant dream I've ever had. Uh, Very, very specific. Um, I knew who I could call to find out what happened to this person. I called them, and they told me, uh, it was a female. It, they told me that she had committed suicide in Nichols Park under the pavilion. Her body fell in the bushes, and the police had trouble finding her. Okay. But the most, when I first saw a spirit in my house, um, they appeared to me three different times. The first time, I could barely make out the image, but I, I knew someone was standing at the end of my island. The second time they appeared to me, they sort of looked like my father, but I knew they weren't my father. They had the, this person had the olive tone skin, the black hair, um, just like my father did. And the third time he appeared to me, I could make out everything he was wearing, what he looked like, his height, um, everything. Um, And at this time, I was going through training for mediumship and I brought it up to my mentor and he tuned in on this spirit and he said um was this was this gentleman a smoker I see a pack of cigarettes rolled up in his sleeve and I said but I see what looks like jeans but they're not jeans they look more like dicky dicky pants to me than jeans Come to find out, my spouse's father, who died years before I ever met my spouse, um, they had a troubled relationship, so I never really saw pictures of this person. Uh, Comes to find out it was his father standing in our house at the end of the island because my mentor said, I don't know who would name their child this, but how did they get the name Shorty? Well, that's what his father was called his entire life because he was the youngest male in the family. And they always said, take Shorty with you. That was his name. 
How did your spouse react to that? Uh, bawling. Bawling. And I knew, I knew, and he's like, well, why is he here? And I said, I think he's here to apologize for all the years of abuse and alcoholism. And I think he's here because he wants to show you support. When you saw him, did you go through any self-doubt? Like, is this real? Oh, yes. How did you, what confirmed it for you? Absolutely. Well, it, I was very dumbfounded over it because, like I said, I hadn't seen spirit just standing in a room before this. Okay. So this is after my near-death experience, and I'm thinking, great, now I'm going crazy. I'm having people standing in my house. This is, I'm sorry, this is not normal. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, dreams are one thing, but now I'm seeing spirits. This is not normal. Okay. And, and when I, I, I very, I hesitated a lot before I brought it up to my mentor. Because I just thought I was seeing something. And after he appeared the third time, I'm like, okay, I need to talk about this with my teacher. And then that's when it all started coming up. Hmm. I mean, it's weird. I'll be sitting here on the couch. I'll look down the hallway. I'll see some guy come out of my garage, walk down the hallway, and go straight back towards the master bedroom. I had to get up and go look. They are that real. I can make out their brown hair. I can make out their brown beard. I can make out what clothes they wanted to wear or appear in. You know, it is so real that I actually had to get up and go look. Even my husband, who never believed in this before, who is now believing in it, and I had a client coming over the y- yesterday, and I knew I had this girl that came in. Well, my husband's back in the bedroom. He goes, you know, this stuff doesn't happen to me. But he goes, I literally thought you were standing behind me, touching my shoulder because you wanted my attention. And I turned around and nobody's there. So now this is starting to affect him. <laughs> <laughs> So, I'm wondering if we should do an open house for Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> Have a great Halloween party. <laughs> right? So, it, it's... Life has really changed. Life has changed big time in the five and a half years. And I think the more I develop, the more things are starting to happen. Um, it, it's nothing for me to sit here and describe a client's pet to them. I had a client come in two weeks ago and I put her in here in the office and then I went to get something and came back in and I said, oh, you have a black and white dog laying at your feet. I said, it looks like a little female. She goes, you gotta be kidding me. I said, why? She goes, I had her put down last week and she starts bawling. they're all with us Mm. you know all of our loved ones are with us they're not above us they're right beside us you know and that's the most incredible thing is once we started tuning our minds to 
them being right above us or right beside us, I mean, then we start feeling them and we start seeing them. And, you know, people's minds might change just a little bit. And if we can affect that little bitty change, then maybe when it comes time for their transition, it'll be a little bit easier for them and not so fearful. That's why I don't hesitate talking about this. Do you think that the people that are here with you or with us, is it like another dimension overlapping ours just in a different frequency? Or do you think like they're earthbound spirits here with us that are not hanging out in heaven or, or somewhere else? There's a lot of different philosophies on this. Okay. Um, if we look at quantum physics and quantum entanglement and all of that, then it would say that it they are right here with us. They are parallel universe operating at the same time right along with us. So that would say they are right beside us. Okay. And then we look at earthbound spirits. And what I've been taught is really after a person transition, their attachment to their loved ones is so strong that it helps keep their bond here with them. And it takes about a year for that new, new spirit to separate from the earthly bonds. Okay. So I, I think that's why through the first year, a lot of people really feel their presence and stuff around them is because it's that bond of love that holds them here and tied to the earth. Now being earthbound, you, you know, I can't say yes. And I can't say no, because this is not a proven theory. And how do we really prove this theory? Now, if you look at an alcoholic or a drug addict who has a really strong urge for those chemical addictions, well, maybe they still do that, have that strong urge in the spirit form, and that's what keeps them attached to their favorite pub, their local watering hole, whatever it is. Um, and I can tell you, I used to be a, a bar manager, and I can tell you in one bar that I managed, we had this gentleman by the name of Michael who actually had his funeral services in the bar because he loved the place so much. And that happened before I managed the bar. And when I took over, I actually had to ask a longtime employee. I said, um, when I closed this bar last night, I kept seeing some shadow figure walk back and forth on this backside of the bar. He goes, oh, yeah, that's Michael. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, he had his funeral service here, and he loves this place. We all see him all the time. And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm so glad you told me that before I started here. <laughs> You know, but you, you could see him through the corner of your eye. And every time the bar was closed and I'm counting out the cash and it sort of made me feel like somebody was in the bar. Hmm. So, yeah, they're, they're here with us. Whether they're earthbound or not, I don't know. There, there's too many philosophies, too many theories out there. I, it, yes, she could. 
I mean, we've never had somebody come back and give us all the answers. Yeah. When you see people start bawling, like this woman that when you told her about her dog, how do you react? Well, I get emotional. Of course I get emotional because I know I'm helping her heal. That's what that is. That's healing. And that's the healing coming out of her. But yes, I get emotional. But what I like to do is take that emotion and help drive my power up a little bit more. And to use that emotion to make a stronger connection with the spirit world. However I can, I try to use that emotion instead of let it overtake me. I think a lot of people here on earth with us are just unhappy and grieving and feel like they have a miserable life. Why do you think that is so? I think a lot of people are looking externally for happiness. And you're never going to find that externally. A job's not going to make you happy, a home, a car, a different boyfriend, or none of that's going to make you happy until you start doing the inner work on yourself. Um, There's a lot of stuff I had to look at, a lot of stuff I had to look at to heal myself in order to help others heal. Um, I come from an extremely abusive alcoholic family. Most of my brothers and sisters I don't talk to anymore and haven't spoken to for 25 years. Okay? But it's because I realized that the only person that can make me happy is me being being happy with myself and doing my own work. And, yeah, they may be blood, but they're not a part of my life. And once, once I got away from that, which really it turned out to be a lot of gay bashing, once I got away from all of that, I've never been happier. You know, sometimes you have to leave home to discover who you truly are. And that's what I did. Were you a religious person or a spiritual person before this all happened? I was raised Southern Baptist. Um, I come from a a line of very well-known Christian bands. Um, But I realized when I was young and I was gay that the Bible didn't speak for me. And that's okay that it does from some people. It's okay. Do I believe in Jesus? Absolutely. Do I believe he was a great teacher? Absolutely. Do I believe that he came here to teach us all about love? Yes. But the main thing I think he came here to teach us that we're all missing is we ourselves have the power to connect with that God source without having to go to a building or see a certain particular person that carries the title of priest or bishop or whatever. You know, we all have that spark of God within us. And if you look at science, we're talking about when we talk about the light within a person and we're talking about the light of God within a person They've discovered through the electron microscope that when the egg is fertilized, the moment it's fertilized, there's a spark of light that goes off in there. Okay? So is this the light of God that they're all talking about? Well, if it is, it's in all of us. 
okay? And the study that I, I was watching the video on that showed all of this stuff, even animals and reptiles have this little spark that happens when the ovum is fertilized. You were talking about that you teach mediumship. Do you think that you have to have an NDE to be able to have to be able to do no, mediumship? No, because if you look at it, I was born with this ability. My very first clairvoyant dream, I was 10 years old, right about that time. Um, I have an identical twin brother, but we're more paternal because back then they didn't do x-rays or sonograms. So we just had a, uh, uh, our heartbeat um, sounded the same. I mean, they couldn't tell the difference between the two. Um, about nine years old, my to tell you this story, my mother and my grandfather did not speak. Um, I come from a large family, so there were six of them before the last two, me and my brother. Uh, and my mom and her father were on non-speaking terms for years. And um, so I don't even know if I met him. I don't know if I met him as a baby. I, I have no idea. Even my older brothers and sisters have no idea if he ever saw us. Okay. So I had a dream. And uh, I came down for breakfast that morning. And I don't remember where my twin brother was. He might have been upstairs getting ready for school that morning. And I told my mother, I said, I had the worst dream last night. <clears throat> I knew it was nighttime. I knew it was a place that was hot. I was in a boat on the water, and I was hit by something. And when they found me, pieces of me were missing. You know, my mother thought I may have eaten something before I went to bed that night. So the old wives tell you had a bad dream because you ate before you went to sleep. That's what she played it off to. A couple of days later, my uncle Lewis had called my mother to tell her that my grandfather, her father, uh, drowned on a lake up here in northern Florida. He was out fishing at night. He was hit by alligator poachers. He was knocked into the water. He drowned. And when they found him, pieces of his body was missing. At that moment, my mother realized that I had a, I had some sort of gift, and she told me to never speak to it to anyone, not my brothers, not my friends, no one. So she made me very afraid of this dream. But these dreams kept continuing all throughout my life. And when I was older, I had a dream and my roommates at the time, I told them about it before I left for work. And that night when we all got home, we're standing there watching the news and there's my dream on TV. And they were like, you need to call the police. You need to call the police. Everything. I was afraid to. Who knows? You know, would they believe me or not? You know, and uh, my mother told me not to because he called her. Don't you dare call him. Don't you dare call him. Well, I ended up calling him. If it wouldn't have been 
uh, let, hang on, let me think about this time. It would have been probably about 88, 89 a year. So I called the police and as I'm describing to the dispatcher, the scene that I saw, the police are on the way to our apartment, our apartment. As I'm hanging up with the dispatcher, the police are knocking on my door. If I didn't have roommates, I probably would have gone to jail because I knew information about the scene that was not released to the news. Thank God I had roommates. So, so that's why I see, I feel as most people are naturally born mediums. Can you develop mediumship later in life? I would say yes, but it's probably been so latent in you that you never realized it beforehand until now. You know, and I, I think um, a lot of people, it takes something big to happen into their life to bring them to this point. You know, so, and I can't teach you how to be a medium. I can only teach you tools to use in your mediumship. Okay. You're either a medium or you aren't. I like the way you put that from my guess and from just my own little I don't know if you'd call it research, but just listening to my guest and thinking about it, that I felt that most of the time anybody was able to do something like be a medium or have any type of psychic powers. They had to have some type of event before that kind of turns it back on. But I yeah. think you're saying it a little bit differently. Yeah. Like, well, I was, like I said, I've had this gift all my life. Is there a flip that's thrown, a, a switch that just goes off when something happens? I don't know. It, it, you know, that's just what I'm reading and other people's experiences. Um, I know everybody is psychic. Everybody has that psychic gift. Now, can you take that psychic gift and take those feelings, your clear sentient feelings that you're getting, and turn them into another Claire? Yes. You could take your feelings and turn them into Claire audience, or you take it and do it through clairvoyance and allow it to form a picture for you. You know, it's all it's it's all right there on the realms of mediumship, but I think a true medium actually sees and hears spirit. Do you think it's possible that you had some type of event as a child before that dream? Yes. Yes. Um, my mother said that when she was pregnant with my twin brother and I, I weighed three pounds, two ounces. He weighed three pounds, five ounces. So that would have been a six pound, six pounds, seven ounce baby. Okay. She didn't know she was having twins. She actually went to a seance when she was pregnant with us. And one of my dead aunts came through and said, don't worry, they will be fine. Well, she didn't understand that. Who's they? 
And then when she was given birth to us, she started, I was first, and she started screaming, don't cut the cord. And then my brother was born. I think her going to the seance had something to do with my abilities. It's interesting as I talk it to you. It is interesting. More I stuff. Mean, how do we prove this? Yeah. You know, I'm an evidential medium. I need proof in the pudding before I deliver the message. You know, I want you to know that, yes, this is your mother. This is what she said. This is where she, what she did when you were young. Or uh, one of my readings came through and it was the mother's mother. So it would have been the, uh, the granddaughter. I'm giving a reading and the mother and granddaughter are sitting right beside one another. And her grandmother came through and her grandmother was Latin. Okay. And you got to remember spirits still retain their same personality and characteristics on the other side as they have here. So she came through speaking a lot of Spanish and I'm, trying to get her to speak in my language. And I could understand that she was there for a celebration. Okay. I couldn't understand what it was for, but she wanted me to tell them that she was just there for their celebration. I, and I had to ask her a question, which I don't normally like to do, but I said, what did you just celebrate? Because I know she, and I pointed to the girl's mother, said, I wish Abuela could see this. I don't speak Spanish. Yeah, I hear the terms, but I don't speak it. And I said, I, I know this is your grandmother, and you just celebrated something that was very important to you. And she held up her engagement ring. They just had an engagement party three days before. I said, your grandmother came in to tell you, yes, she was there because she heard your mother say, I wish she was here. And she just repeated it to me. And for those of you that don't know, abuela means grandmother. Grandmother, yes. So was she speaking to you in Spanish or in your brain? She came in, yeah, she came in. She came in directly, let me know. She gave her appearance to me immediately. She started speaking in Spanish, and I'm telling her, I don't speak, I don't speak Spanish. Please speak to me in a language that I can understand. And I could tell it was it was broken. And you can tell when they're uncomfortable speaking. It just on day-to-day -day regular communication, when somebody's uncomfortable with speaking the, our language, you know, it becomes very broken and they become very agitated. Yeah. I could feel that with her because she was so, she needed to get that message through to her granddaughter. You know, um, what better gift to give? Yeah. I, I mean, and that's why I call this an ability. A lot of people call it the gift. You were born with the gift. No, I wasn't. I was born with the ability. The gift is what I give you 
When I deliver a very clear, accurate, evidential message from your loved one in spirit, that's like a beautiful Christmas package with a bow on it. Who wouldn't want to hear from their loved one again? You know, that's that's the gift. I think a lot of people are attracted to my podcast because someone in their life has transitioned over and they're grieving. What, yes. what advice can you give to those people out there that are grieving? I can say this. At the time of your transition, you're going to understand that life continues after life. That's what mediumship is here to prove that life continues after life. Your loved ones are whole again. There is no cancer. There is no emphysema. There are no heart attacks. There is no pain. Everything is made whole the moment you step out of your body. And what I find most fascinating is when spirit comes in through mediumship, they come through they like to appear at their happiest time of their life, which may have been about 35, 40, 45 years old. And that's how they appear at first, and then they'll give me different things. But your loved ones are more alive, I think, than we are. Um, everything there is thought. And if you want them to be in the room with you, all you have to do is think about them. And and when you think about them, swell up with love. Swell up with all the love that you have. Because that's what draws them to you. Is that love connection. It never it never stops. If I have a letter that Albert Einstein wrote to his daughter talking about the E equals MC squared. And he says the one equation that he left out of it was the force of love. And he says that's more stronger than energy uh, times the mass times speed of light squared. He says love is the most powerful force in the universe that there is. So the love never dies. And all you have to do is simply think about them. And they're with you. And they will show you signs that they are with you. Whether it be consecutive numbers or a special animal that you have or, or all of a sudden you're looking at a picture of them more than you normally do. Well, that's them. That's them having you look at that picture. And it's just reminding you of the love that they have for you. I keep telling my husband that I wouldn't mind having another near-death experience. Yes, it scares him. But I also want to come back. Okay. I, I just I want to have the experience again. I don't want it to last forever. <laughs> You know, I want to come back um, because it's it's life changing. That experience is 
changes you to the core. And I am somebody who was verbally and physically abused as a child. My brothers and sisters wanted nothing to do with me because I was gay. They thought they should tell me how to live my life because of it. Okay. I put up with that scrutiny for a very long time. What did it create? What did it create in me? It created a drug addict. It created an alcoholic. And it created an abuser. Okay. The alcohol and drugs stopped just before my near-death experience when I met my spouse. But for somebody to have all of this, the drugs, the alcohol, the abuse, and to still go to what I would consider to be a portion of heaven, tells me there is no hell. The hell is only in the mind and on this plane. Okay? I wasn't a saint. I didn't go around loving everybody and hugging everybody and doing all this stuff before my near-death experience. Granted, I don't go around hugging and kissing everybody after either. <laughs> Let's just slip that right in there. Okay. But I wasn't a perfect person. I was, and like I described to my husband on our wedding day at our vow, you found me duct taped together. I felt like they were little post-it notes of duct tape all over my body holding me together as a human being. Okay, because I was an alcoholic, drug addict, abuser, whose family wanted nothing to do with him. With all that, why would I go to a place that we consider to be heaven? You know, why wouldn't I go somewhere else where the temperatures are a lot warmer than Florida? <laughs> I say that jokingly. <laughs> Especially Florida in August. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, so we all go to the same place. Energy goes back to the same place. We're all energy. So enjoy this life. Enjoy these experiences. Don't be afraid. The only thing fear is doing is holding you back. It's the experiences in your life that you're taking back to source. And that, like that cliche goes, when it's time for your transition, don't you want to slide into that home plate all tattered and torn, full of experiences and say, wow, what a ride. I want to do that again. You know, well, that's those are our experiences that we take back to source because that's how source grows and learns. And that's how we evolve in our spirit. And, and then I think that's where reincarnation comes in. You know, because every time we come back, we're evolving a little bit more as spirit or on, as a human on this plane, this very dense, slow-moving plane. 
All right, Ron, I'm running out of time, so I need to let people know how to find you. Okay. Um, well, I am on Facebook under Ron Cox, R-O-N-C-O-X, or you can go to my website, which is intuitivemediumroncox.com. Now, I abbreviate it. It's the letter I, the letter M, my full name, roncox.com. I am roncox.com. It's almost like I'm roncox.com. Yes. Actually, I'm Ron Cox. There's no hiding who I am. I'm me. If people want to reach out to you and ask you questions, are you okay with that? Yes. Yes. Yeah, I I believe in helping people. You know, it's does it always have to be about money? Does it always have to be about greed? No, because when we help others out, we also help ourselves. You know, when I'm helping somebody else out, there's a part of my story that I'm remembering that I'm also healing. You know, it 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 takes the flow back and forth for the healing to start processing or for you to be reminded of the things that you've forgotten and need to be healed. All right, Ron. Well, before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message? Yes. Uh, and I'm going to go with my motto. Okay. And I use the word God interchangeably. It could be God. It could be source. It could be whatever term you want to put in there. But my motto is the God within me is stronger than anything before me. It's stronger than the adversity out there. It's stronger than your own self-doubts. And when I'm weak, that's what I rely on. The God within me to pick me up and lift me up and help me move forward. The God within me is stronger than anything before me. That's a great message. Ron, thank you so much again for being my guest. I appreciate you and have a great rest of your weekend. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, I am available. Just reach out. I'm here. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.